This episode of Lucky Paper Radio is brought to you by Yogmoth's Activity Book. Look, we've all been there. You brought a sweet combo deck to FNM. It's turn four. You're going off, taking all kinds of game actions, and your green-white mid-range opponent is just giving you the stink eye. Show that you're sympathetic to the plight of the fair deck pilot with Yogmoth's Activity Book, a card-sized pamphlet with connect-the-dots, mazes, crosswords, and puzzles to keep your opponents busy while you're digging for that win condition. Whether you're a Storm player trying to count to 20 for a lethal grape shot, a KCI player trying to remember how that weird chromatic sphere rules interaction works, or a dredge player trying to figure out how putting half your deck in your graveyard is supposed to win the game, Yogmoth's Activity Book will keep your opponent entertained enough not to call a judge on you for slow play. Yogmoth's Activity Book, an essential part of any combo player's deck box. Win or lose, you don't get to play the game anymore, so play with this instead. touch that dial you found lucky paper radio i'm your host andy and i'm here with my co-host official lucky paper radio arena correspondent anthony maddox so you don't you don't play that much arena do you huh i installed it once and i did the like beginner like you know go through those like monocolored decks basically Mm -hmm. and you kind of beat up that target dummy yeah it's kind of like the tutorial and i did that and it was fine i just i I can't do digital magic it's like you know this anthony our listeners maybe don't i'm a very (laughs) obsessive kind of person and I had a phase of my life where I was extremely into video games, a little too into video games. And one of the dangers of video games is that you can just play them whenever you want. <laughs> Two o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, just play a video game. And one of the reasons I got really into Magic is because it had that limiter that meant I couldn't just play whenever I want because I needed someone else to be around to shuffle up and, and play a game with. And so I just I feel that pull from the digital Magic. And I just can't bring myself to do it. I actually feel I'm not that far from you. Definitely, like, Arena is a video game, and, and I miss so much of just the, the hangout with people from it. And it, I just, I, when I play it, I get anxious. I think I'm going to misclick, <laughs> and often I do. So I don't play a ton, but I did play a bunch this week. I was excited to try out the Chromatic Cube. Uh, I'm just looking at some cool screenshots of me dealing 200 damage to my opponent. And uh, Oh, spoilers already. You're getting ahead of yourself a little bit. Anthony, you played the Chromatic Cube a bunch this week because we are joined by a special guest on this episode of Lucky Paper Radio. We have on the line David McDarby, the designer of the aforementioned Chromatic Cube. Hello, David. Hello, Andy and Anthony. How are you guys doing? Great. Thanks for uh, for being on the show. Really glad to have you. Yeah, happy to be here. I mean, you're giving me an excuse to talk about magic. Of course I'm going to take it. I, I feel like you probably do that quite a bit in, in your day-to-day life already. Is that not true? Uh, Yeah, I talk about magic uh, all day at work, and then I come home and I talk <laughs> or play magic more, you know? Are you ever worried you're gonna you're gonna just get tired of it eventually? Are you worried is gonna be a limit where you're just gonna kind of break? There's a lot of things I worry about, uh, but that's not one of them. Yeah, it, it's been a lot of years for me too, and I feel like there's really no end to this. It's uh, it's doesn't feel like it's going anywhere for me either. Um, yeah, you know, to quote a song, you can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. <laughs> exactly. So we're gonna be talking about the Chromatic Cube, which is the latest cube on Arena, designed by David. It is on Arena right now at the release of this podcast. So if you have not played it yet, you should queue up and get some games in on this cube. We're going to talk a little bit about David's history playing cube, about the history of the design of this cube, how this cube came to be, and then, you know, get in a little bit to just how you can, uh, you know, farm some wins. If you're for the true spike of paths out there, how are you going to get the most wins out of this environment? But before we do that, we're of course going to do our pack one pick one from the chromatic cube. Anthony, you've played this cube a little bit. I have. I would definitely not say I've mastered it, but I'm a little familiar with how it's going. So obviously David's going to have the right answer for us. We'll, we'll save, his, <laughs> save him for the end. 
you going into a pack one pick one from this cube, what are you looking for? What are you, what are you most excited to first pick? Uh, so there's some cards which I think are just busted. Things like Golos and what else do we have in there? Like uh, basically a lot of big, expensive, splashy things. So I'm definitely looking for some of those. Uh, on the other hand, also fixing and ramp, especially the little bit of one and two mana ramp. There isn't a ton of it, so I, d- I prioritize that a whole lot. I'm going to read the pack. We'll see what Anthony's going to take. I'll weigh in a little bit, and then David will give us the correct answer on what we're supposed to take out of this pack. Here we go. This pack is Shouldred Whispering One, Beanstalk Giant, Liliana Dreadhorde General, Plainwide Celebration, Mila Crafty Companion, Thriving Grove, Woe Strider, Mall of the Skyclaves, Thriving Bluff, Cloud Blazer, Combustible Gear Hulk, High Sentinels of Arishin, Chainer's Edict, Fury Calm Snarl, and Rowan Scholar of Sparks. Anthony, no shortage of big splashy things to do in this pack. Right, and there there are a lot of big splashy things to do in the cube. So it's sort of funny, I think, that on uh, limited resources they talked about, this is not the cube for eating your vegetables. You just get to do the big splashy thing. I kind of don't vegetables agree with right that. Out. Just because there is a ton of these like big, fun, splashy things, but the, the fixing and the early ramp is just so important that I think you really do have to be disciplined and uh, prioritize that. So Liliana Dreadhorde General, I think, is is pretty not quite Golos level busted in this cube, but is extremely powerful. That being said, I really can't pass up uh, Thriving Grove. So these are the uh, lands from Jumpstart that enter the battlefield. You choose a color, it taps for that color, it does enter tapped, uh, and this one also taps for green all, all the time. So it's basically like an Evolving Wilds, but you get the, the bonus of it also tapping for a second color. Uh, I've found I'm mostly playing green in this context, so this is even a higher pick. I think that Beanstalk Giant might also be a reasonable pick here. The three mana ramp is not quite as potent, but Beanstalk Giant also being a threat in its in its own uh, is pretty relevant. Yeah, everything you said resonates with me. I think the way to think about it in an environment like this, to me at least, is that when big splashy stuff is kind of the given, that's the baseline, then what's going to set your deck apart from your opponent's deck is not the presence of big splashy stuff, because you're both going to have that. It's how consistently and quickly do you get to do it. And having your fixing so you get to cast those big splashy spells and having your ramps so you get to do it a little earlier than your opponent is oftentimes going to be, I think, what's going to set you apart. I'm actually just going to take Beanstalk Giant here. And I've not played this environment. So big you know, caveat, I could be totally wrong about this. But I'm really drawn to this as a ramp effect, a fixing effect, and also just a built-in two-for-one. It's got everything going on all in one package. And it's not an environment where I'm worried about three-mana ramp being too slow. Because a lot of these big bombs are going to be at five, six, seven mana. And I think the decks are a little slower out of the gate. And so that's what I'm going to take, just because you know, Anthony, I'm really loath to be high on a, a tapped fixing land. I just, tapped lands really don't do it for me. I, you can definitely get away with them here, but I, I think I agree Beanstalk Giant is probably a slightly more powerful pick. I will also give a shout out to uh, the two mono white cards in this pack. Well, the two that I'm interested in, the Mall of the Skyclaves and Mila. I think that you can actually build a pretty proactive deck. It doesn't look like an aggressive deck you would see in a lot of the classic powerful vintage legacy cubes, but I've played both green, white, and red, white decks that have especially like a lot of plus one, plus one counter synergies that have been, you know, you, you really can surprise people. That being said, that's not what I'm feeling like right now, but I'm curious to find out what the correct answer is. David, what do you think about this pack? What do you think about this pack? Uh, I liked what you guys were saying about things. I basically agree with a lot of it. This pack is actually, I think, kind of low power level compared to a lot of the cube. Like you said, you want the early acceleration, the two mana ones like Explore and whatnot, or the one land or mm-hmm. elves, uh, if you can lucky enough to find that young soldier. But yeah, <laughs> Beanstalk Giant, I think, is kind of my level one what I'd go to in this pack. Uh, like you said, tons of splashy stuff, but you do need to eat your vegetables. But in this in this cube, vegetables are two and three mana ramp spells and not, you know, one mana uh, right, creatures. Exactly. We just don't have one mana creatures in his historic. 
Uh, but I actually think it depends on your mood, like you said. I actually do like the shout out to Maul the Skyclaves. Uh, I don't know. I have died to Swift Blade Vindicator on turn two, Maul the Skyclaves on turn three. And I just have my nice. first plays on turn four or five. And I'm like, well, that, that, that'll teach you, David. Um, so I would might actually, if you want to win, I might go against the normal strategy and take Maul the Skyclaves and just try to take the oft uh, maligned red white equipment deck. Although, to your point, though, I, I think that there aren't so many one-drop creatures, so even in those pretty proactive decks, you can still afford to play some tapped fixing. So even if my goal was to play, you know, maybe red-white aggro or red-green aggro, I might still want to take one of the lands over over the mall. And something that we've pointed out in this show before, Anthony, that you very smartly noticed is that the thriving lands at first might read as kind of flexible two-color lands. Like, it's base green, and it always has your second color. So if you're playing blue-green, your Thriving Grove is a blue-green land. Mm -hmm. If you're playing blue-red, it's blue-red land, or a green-red land, rather. But as you pointed out, Anthony, very happy to play a Thriving Land in a deck that is not that base color. Because even if you're red-white, your green Thriving Land is still either a red or a white land, right? It still fixes right, your mana totally. one way or the other, even though it doesn't ever give you both. It's really, or I guess, uh, Shimmer Drift Fail is the more accurate comparison, but Shimmer Drift Fail with Gravy. Yeah, I, I like that you're talking about Thriving Grove be your second color. That's the Chromatic Cube, baby. You got to dream a little bigger, darling. And most most decks are <laughs> are three, four, five colors. Why well, you only count to two? You're going to need all those colors. I, I do agree that the more colors I'm in, the more excited I am to be green baseline. Uh, yep. So I think for that reason, Thriving Grove definitely gets the nod over Thriving Bluff for me in this pack. I, I would agree generally, yes. Yeah. I'm on Beanstalk Giant. Anthony... I'm on Beanstalk Giant. Oh, you changed your mind. You're, you're think, off Thriving oh, Grove. It's, it's very close for me, but I, I think Beanstalk Giant, again, being both a ramp spell and a threat is is pretty impactful. Plus, um, Beanstalk lamps rams in the, lands into play. And, you know, generally, a land into play is stronger than a signet in play because it can't get removed as easily. Uh, but in right. this cube, there are a few land synergies like Tatiova or what have you. So that might do additional value. Plus, just a big chunk and threat at the end of the game. Maybe you got nothing else to do and you're like, all right, big, you know, 8-8 eight, eight or something and trigger your cure or what have you. But yeah, I, I think Beanstalk is the correct level one play for um to, to go to go sideways to be anathema to what the cube is designed to uh present to players the experience is designed to provide i'm gonna take maul the skyclaves and try to uh, attack people dead <laughs> yeah i think that sounds totally reasonable and that start of swift blade vindicator into maul of the skyclaves you mentioned like oh it's gonna get me because i don't have anything until turn four or five that'll get you even if you have stuff on turns one two and three like that's a that's a really pretty intense start you're gonna need removal for one of those cards or you're gonna be dead pretty quick Yep, yeah, and like like you said, in this queue, basically the CMC is plus one on everything uh, compared to like traditional magic. So you know your aggro starts. Oh, I don't have any one drops. Well, no one has any one drops. Your your deck will be just fine. <laughs> All right, well, that's our pack one, pick one. If you want to have your cube on Lucky Paper Radio, we can do a pack one, pick one from your environment. Just send us a link to mail at luckypaper.co with your name and pronouns. We will do it on a future show. David. I want to know what your history is with Cube. I know you've had your hand in a couple of Cubes that have been on MTGO and Arena, and obviously, you know, this this Cube is your baby, this Chromatic Cube is your, you're responsible for it. What is your history with this format? Do you play your, yourself? Do you have your own personal Cube? What's your relationship to Cube in general? Let's see. So I am traditionally a Commander player. Uh, back in the day, it was known as Elder Dragon Highlander, perhaps you've heard. Mm -hmm. And way back I, when... I think yeah. that we can, we can leave that out. Everyone is a Commander player, right? Everyone Pretty is much. Yeah, right. Um, so back, back, you know, uh, I started in uh, Zendikar, the first Zendikar, which I guess is used to be really recent, uh, not so much anymore um, with the explosion of the game. But back then, uh, the people that I started playing with, they all played the EDA, the Commander. And I was like, well, I'm going to play what people around me play, because that's what I do. So I got into right. that a lot. And that was my main way to experience magic outside of the, the normal formats and such. Um, once I got a job at Star City Games, um, I led her uh, after college 
I met Justin Parnell. You've probably heard of him before. He's been on the show before. Nice. I, I definitely knew that. Show. Yeah. And he was the cube guy. So he's like, here, Darby, listen here. Uh, I've got I've got a <laughs> format, and it's like 10 Commander decks put together. That's way better than Commander. I'm like, okay, I guess I'll try it. And then I'm like, wow, this is like a limited format. So I grew up in Zendikar Limited, which in that format, you play two drops and you tack. That's the game. So to me, that was the introduction to Limited Magic. And in this format, you can do all kinds of stuff. And the cards are so fun and so unique. And like this is like amazing. So after meeting him, uh, I was like, my cube is just the... One of the one of the sweetest ways to experience magic that I ever knew. From then, cube was the way that if I have one friend, I'll probably play like commander. If I have two to three friends, we'll play commander. But anything more than four, so six, seven, or eight, I definitely just want a cube. So I have I have fifteen commander decks right now, but I'm working on getting a paper version of my Live the Dream cube, which I ran on Magic Online earlier this year and last year, so that. Because, you know, some people I have found crazy, they have the opinion, they don't like playing Commander. Some people, they don't want to play Commander. And that, <laughs> that's, you know, that's the thing about opinions. People are allowed to be wrong. But it's really hard to find a person who enjoys playing Magic that doesn't want to play Cube. Yeah, I mean, I love that framing of, of Cube as kind of like jamming 10 Commander decks together. Because I, I think Commander does offer so many unique things to Magic. You get to, you know, play any cards in the history of the game. You get to explore interesting synergies and all kinds of things that make that format great but it also has some drawbacks of sort of trying to play in this balanced de-optimized way to have a good time it kind of asks people to uh to all be making a good faith effort to be having a good time and cube does so much of that stuff that's great about commander but also everyone is by the nature of the format at the same level and and can it play optimally you, you, right. you force your friends to not play consultation cast you just don't put it in the cube so everyone's kind of as a baseline on the same the same starting point. But I have to ask really quick before we move away from it, of your 15 commander decks, what is your pride and joy? Probably Soul Eternal Advocate. I don't I don't know if you guys will be aware of that card. That's one of the Heroes of the Realm cards that uh, I was going to say I do I yeah. do not know that one. Yeah, uh, that's one of the Heroes of the Realm cards that uh, Wizards makes to celebrate teams doing good work and stuff. Uh and I've got two humble brags. Um and that one was for the customer service uh team. Uh and I, I designed that card, I designed the the rules text, the name, the flavor text. Uh, everything about it I, I, I designed, and it's, like, so unique uh, as, as a card that that's my favorite commander deck. Because you'll never, you'll probably never go up against one. I have it in paper. I, I know how many are given out. I don't think there are too many other copies of it in paper or copies of it that even exist. Um, but unfortunately, it turns out Spell Table uh, has difficulties uh, bringing up cards where there's, like, 20 in existence or so. Um, so... <laughs> You know, I, I don't I play those. And plus, you know, that's like, you know, it's not a card that people have access to. So there's there's some FOMO issues and stuff. So, But in the right situation, you know, I'll ask if I can bring out this fake made-up card that no one else has. Uh, but yeah. That's like, awesome. pretty special. That I can totally see why that's your favorite commander deck. That makes a lot of sense. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but like, you know, they're, they're all my children. I have lots of mouths to feed. And as time goes on, I have more and more cards out there that I've designed that I, I, I want to just make a commander deck filled around cards I've designed once I get to that point, which I think I might be in a year. Another hashtag humble brags. But yeah, uh, I just like bringing fun experiences to people. And like you said, um, Commander, a lot of times, goals and intentions are not aligned. Like, my goal is, my number one goal in Commander is never to win, is to make sure we all have fun and tell good stories. Yes, winning does come later on, but it's not why I play. In Cube, yes, I also want a good time, but like, we're all aligned that we're trying to win and beat the opponent with some yeah. sweet, fun plays, you know. Yeah, the, the good time comes from that competition, from that, yep. you know, trying to win. If everybody's making that good faith effort and showing up to make sure everyone's having a good time, that's easy street. But when that one spike shows up and, and wrecks it, that's when you need to pull out the cube. 
Well, yeah, you just, you know, there, there's a whole like rules your conversation uh, about what do you want to get out of this game? Uh, but, you know, this is Lucky Cube and not Lucky Commander. So tell us about the Chromatic Cube. I know that you did live the Dream Cube that was on Magic Online, and I understand that the Chromatic Cube is in some ways a spiritual successor to that. So I don't know if you want to start talking about the Live the Dream Cube and how that came to be, or start with the Chromatic Cube, but I'm curious to know just how this cube, what this cube's history is. You're perfectly right. Uh, Live the Dream Cube, basically, there's many, many ways to experience magic. Uh, many, many ways. That's the great thing about the game. There's always going to be a new way that you can find to play these little pieces of erecting a cardboard and have fun with your friends. I, like I said, my background in Commander, which is generally, you know, when you think of Commander, you think big, splashy, battlecruiser games where it's not like, you know, uh, elite, elite Vanguard into two more Elite Vanguards and attack and stuff. Um, right. So I, I, I like, because also because I like making cards and designing cards, understanding the rules of the game is really important. So lots of, I like having lots of weird, unique interactions that you might not see otherwise. Like, for example, like Brain Maggot is in both the Chromatic Cube and Live the Dream Cube. And in standard, its application was, you know, it's a two mana creature, it's a one-one, you play, you get a card from their hand, when it dies, they get it back, we're, we're done. But what if you look at the card's creature type, Insect? Maybe it works with uh, the new Planeswalker from oh Modern Horizons 2. I can't even Grist. think of... Grist. yeah. Grist um, the Hunger Type. Maybe you look at its Power Toughness 1-1. One, one. Uh, you look at Sigil Captain, or you can look at Mentor the Meek, or stuff. Or you look at the Mana Cost Devotion. Like, there's so many more characteristics on a match card than just the normal stuff that I like people appreciating cards in a unique way that they might not have ever seen before. So, so you're trying to activate really all of those parts of the card, all of the rules text, all of the abilities, all of the intrinsic attributes of it, and just make the, make as many of them relevant as possible. Yeah, so I, I want you to discover new interactions that you might not otherwise have seen. Like someone told me that in Chromatic Cube, they ultimated uh, Kaya, I forget her real name, uh, but the Kaya from Kaldheim, Kaldheim Kaya, and they ulted her and found um, Karn's Temporal Sundering and just cast that for the rest of the game, every turn. And that was not anything I ever even thought about in the cube, and that made me extremely happy. So finding out little little interactions like that just is what it's all about. So most cubes have aggro because generally you know you have aggro control, maybe combo, maybe tempo, stuff like that. But I basically have removed an entire theater of the game aggro because there's so many, like you think of each set has a rare red enchantment that has about nine lines of text and usually mm -hmm. doesn't, you know, usually isn't, its goal isn't his standard. When we make cards, every card has a goal. Is this a role player in standard? Is this a fun commander card? Like, is this a limited, uncommon, you know, all-star? Um, so what, what's the goal of this card? And generally, those cards have a, b a piece of randomness built in, and we don't like our high-end play having a lot of randomness, output randomness built into the card. Uh, but but in commander right. and cube and stuff, may maybe what, what if a, a format was crafted where you can experience these wild and crazy, weirdo warp world cards and just have a fun time. So so to do that, you can't have people beating down. And I know there's lots of fans of beat down, and that's that's totally cool. And every once in a while, you know, I I'm in, I'm an Izzet, or I guess nowadays Prismari, uh Mage at Heart. And sometimes I just want to, you know, Goblin Guide, Eidolon of uh the Take Two and just like curve out that way. But in this format, without aggro, it gives those weird, inefficient cards and strategies a chance to shine. And you get a chance to experience this other window into the world of magic that you might not see in traditional formats. You you are speaking my language so much here. I mean, I love all of these goals about, you know, powering down the format or otherwise warping the format in order to enable, you know, unique interactions and cards and celebrate all these small interactions between things. Uh, I mean, that's a, a huge goal of my own cube is like, I want to play cube because there are cards that just can't fit anywhere else. And by designing my own environment, I can make that happen. Yeah, that's the yeah. great thing. Yeah, that's the great thing about cube. Uh yeah, the best thing is that you, you basically get to 
figure out what kind of games you want to happen. I, I love the idea of starting from a standpoint of what I want to do is create novel weird board states and make a place for these cards to shine that don't otherwise necessarily have a home or their home is, you know, an oddball commander deck or something, but no one's played with them in limited really because they're, like you said, seven mana red enchantments or something. It's Sunbird's Invocation. That was actually okay in limited, if I remember correctly. At least playable. Uh, yeah, that one was playable because you didn't have to do much other than that, other than play Magic. <laughs> right, exactly. You just play this card and then continue to play Magic and good mm -hmm. stuff will happen. But yeah, I, I think that's a great perspective. I, you know, some people... To them, what Cube means is the Magic Online Vintage Cube. They think of Cube as, you know, Storm versus Mono Green Ramp with Crater Hoof Behemoth versus, like, Red Deck Wins versus Reanimator. And I, I, I always love any opportunity to reframe Cube as just whatever you want Magic to be. And that's the great part of it. You get to use these 25,000 game pieces and make whatever kind of game you want to make. I want to talk a little bit about this aggro point, though. So you said that you kind of, like, took aggro out of the equation to some degree because... If everyone's being down really quickly, then your expensive cards are not going to have a chance to shine. You're not going to get to cast them, or you're not going to have an opportunity to combine these two oddball cards because there's just a bunch of removal running around and things get taken out of the play too quickly. But something we always talk about in this show is that aggro is relative, right? I, I think some people will say like, oh yeah, my cube doesn't have aggro, or my cube does have aggro. And it's like, well, it's kind of always going to be a fastest, most proactive deck, right? It's kind of always relative to the environment. I can't really imagine an environment where all the decks are exactly the same speed and completely ignore that axis of tempo. So what do you think the, the fastest, most proactive decks look like in this environment? So if you, I, I wrote an article uh, that is basically explained the archetypes. My cube uh, lies heavier on the archetype line as opposed to the good stuff line. So the, um, oh, sorry, line, end of the spectrum. So aggro are the white, green, and white, red decks. So white, red is equipment focus. I think I may have focused on that theme too hard. I think I may have focused overall on themes too hard. Um, but the <laughs> idea was you have, you know, SRAM on two, Swift Blade Vindicator on two, and you play the cards that you'll get late. So, like, maybe not the Mall of the Sky plays, but, like, Scavenge, uh, Scavenge Blade and things like that to suit up a quick turn two play and attack. Um, also, you could do green-white. Like, any start enabled by a turn where Llanowar Elves is going to be really great. So maybe you land, you land our elves into Basri or something, and then you start getting or into um, uh, Rishkar, Vroom Vroom, and just like really get out of, out of the gates. Um, and, and that that is, you know, in a traditional cube environment, that will not be incredibly fast. But in this environment, you know, uh, because everything is just up a CMC or so, uh, that actually can be quite aggressive. And, and, and if your your deck, if the opponent's deck isn't tuned with some, you know, some cheap removal spells, which there's not tons, but certainly some exist, uh, you're going to get ran over, even though, you know, like I said, the cube has no aggro. Well, like you said, when you say no aggro, it turns out magic players like to use hyperbole, and the aggro is just not as low to the ground as you might expect in, like you said, the traditional environments of the magic line vintage cubes and such. So is it safe to say that you wanted your aggressive or your most proactive decks to still basically embody the spirit of the cube and be about combining cards in novel ways, right? Like combining the Swiftway Vindicator with an equipment and still about these interactions between cards that are somewhat odd rather than just being good stuff cards with power and toughness that attack your opponent. Yeah, so it's it's more difficult to have... Um, like, a lot of times people say, oh, aggro decks have no decisions. Well, no, aggro decks have lots of decisions. You just often pay for them harder than, like, a control deck. But so, like, it's harder to have unique, interesting board states with aggressive cards because their goal is to end the game before the opponent can play their expensive cards. Um, but there's still things like, like you play um, Rishkar, puts a plus one plus counter on like Incubation Druid perhaps. So like on turn three, boom, yeah. now you've got three more mana on turn three after you play two creatures aboard. Like that's pretty aggressive and that's really sweet. So like th there are still ways to find, and that's one of my really, what's one of the hardest things I can do is try to find a deck that does want to attack the opponent 
for their life total zero before they can deploy their threats, but also do it in a unique, meaningful way that makes you feel clever and, and, and you enjoy doing it. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's actually one of the biggest compliments I would give to this cube is when we were first, uh, Andy and I were looking through the list and talking about it, it really seemed like, well, you're just going to kind of want to play five-star color good stuff. And that's that's largely what this cube is about, so that's fine. It's written the um, name. But I was surprised to find that like, I would be drafting a deck and then realize, you know, I'm drafting this green-white deck, but I, I actually have so much plus-one, plus-one counter synergy. I'm actually going to start leaning into that a little bit more and, and felt like I was really rewarded in a lot of those cases for, for leaning more into these synergies, which I, I just my initial expectation wasn't that they would be so meaningful yeah uh and that's thank you and that, that's kind of that's the dream right that's the goal is to not have any traps and when people trust you when people trust what you're doing with the cube they're not betrayed like sometimes that will happen just because the nature of you know and uh, these this cubes are 540 cards so you only see two-thirds or two-thirds of the cards per draft 360 of 540 so sometimes you'll just get uh, unlucky and that's the game that's what you know on the plus side of things that's what adds replayability but if someone really trusts People are going to be as a cube designer. People will trust you to not let them fall. Like every time people draft your cube, it's a trust exercise, and so you want to try your hardest to not let people do that. Like, like say in in, in the little dream cube, people are like, why well, first picked Urza and just wanted to do an artifact theme, but there weren't lots of artifacts. Well, yeah, but you got Urza. There's other <laughs> you're like you're not going to feel bad because the the deck was built around his five mana temporal aperture ability, not the artifact ability. Right. Uh, but it's all that's about. That's always an interesting challenge where people have very specific expectations about how a card functions because they've seen it played in, you know, either just at its ceiling or in a constructed format where it can be really, really built around. And I really like that aspect of you can take a cube and take a card that might be overpowered, but put it in a context where it just, it doesn't function the same way, but it now functions in a new way, um, which is both a positive but also a negative because it can just let people feel like they're being trapped. That's important. But sometimes it's going to happen. Like I had a... Uh... Angie Falconrath in the Dream Cube for a while, and people will draft her and like, oh, I didn't find any madness cards. I'm like, well, at the time, this was before Modern Horizons 2, there weren't tons of really strong madness cards right. that weren't playing the cube. Uh, so people will take her, and by herself, the rummage ability was great. But the, because right. the card says madness, people are like, oh, I didn't take madness, and people will be sad. It, it's really amazing of all the skills you need to be a game designer. Um, like, psychology is like one of the best ones, one of the strongest ones to have. Like, yeah, when we were sure. making. Yeah, when we're making Kirk son of Yogmoth for a while, you know, depending on the order you put the abilities, maybe someone read a bad thing, a bad line, like the drawback text at the beginning, and they're like, oh, this card is like bad, like, and the good stuff. And you're like, oh, I don't care. It's hard with that. But if you put the good stuff at front, you're like, oh, play this card, the good stuff. I'm into it. And then you read the downside, <laughs> you're like, oh, whatever. The top line was so good. And it's really funny how these small psychological things can really impact players' experiences. Like, like when people look at my cube, oh, there's no, there's no one drops. There's no aggro. Well, when everything is up a mana, uh, the two drops become the one drops. And yeah, there can be right. aggressive formats. Also, you know, when people say there's no aggro, well, people are like, well, actually, I died to an aggro deck. And that goes into, like, conversation. All press is good press. Like, so, like, you get people talking about it. And that's, you need know, like, the marketing aspect. You know, getting people to talk about your stuff is good, which is, you know, why negative things get more things than good things. But anyway, that's a lot of, a lot of marketing, psychological stuff. Um yeah. yeah, someone that says there's no aggro in this environment needs to have their mouth slapped up by a swift play vindicator with a mall of the skyclaves and uh, shut them right up, I would think. I think I'm never going to read a magic card the same way again. I'm now going to think every time, <laughs> why did they put the abilities in this order? Because that's something I, I do notice a lot. Sometimes it feels like, well, it would like tell a cleaner story or read better if the abilities were in a different order, but maybe I'm just being manipulated. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, you start looking at a like some, some things like second a uh, second person versus third person like healing spells like you you know you draw a card but then it's like deal damage like deal three thing you know, do three damage like lose three life why don't you lose three life oh no when you know there, there's so many little things in the game that like once you peel back the curtains 
uh, it gets a little maddening. <laughs> I feel like that thing you mentioned is one of the struggles of the cube designer is that I, I kind of wish, part of me wishes that every time players sat down to draft a cube I designed, they were blank slates. Like they were like, I'm obviously like magic players, right? With like knowing how the rules work and stuff, but almost wish they were like reading every card for the first time, right? There was like a 360 brand new cards they'd ever seen before because so often people do inherit so many assumptions from what that card does in other contexts. And and like you said, you know, Urza's in the Live the Dream Cube and there it's perfectly serviceable. It's just a like card you play, it ramps you a little bit and it also lets you, gives you a mana sink to start dumping a bunch of mana into your deck and shuffle it up and do something randomly and fun, get a little RNG going. And yet people think of it as a artifact card or, you know, Anji and them sort of right. trying to build a full-on dedicated madness deck as opposed to thinking about just any kind of deck that wants to rummage, put things in the graveyard, you know, etc. It's a. I don't have a question. I guess it's just it's something I think about a lot. Is that there's always this interesting, assumed use case and assumed context for cards. I feel like that it's basically impossible to get away from. It's just it's just what you have to deal with as a cube designer. I think an, another great example is uh, when we were talking about the the cultic cube. There are these like three and four mana reanimation spells that formed the the That's backbone of this example. reanimation deck. And I think if people had just never seen the really busted reanimation spells Animate before. Dead and Reanimate were never printed. Exactly. Then, you then know, people would just Zombify be... and Late to Dinner would look great. Exactly. And people would be totally happy with them, but people have this like expectation set that they don't want to draft the bad version of a thing. It's kind of similar to, I've gotten the feedback before in my environment that, you know, in my own main cube, David, I, I maintain like a spirit of singleton rule, so I try really hard not to include cards that are exact duplicates of, or functional duplicates of, or strictly worse than other cards. And, this comes up in a couple of places. The biggest place is just burn spells, because I do run Lightning Bolt, which means I don't run Shock, I don't run Lightning Strike, I don't run a lot of cards people consider like staples of red, powerful cubes. And I've had people tell me before, like, oh, you include all the best, you know, white aggressive cards, but you're missing a bunch of the best red aggressive cards, and therefore, you know, I don't like red in this environment. But actually, like, red does really well in my, in my environment, right? Like, it's not actually that red is not balanced, it's just that people are looking at it and saying, well, there's cards I know exist that are missing... And because they're not here, I'm going to assume that this color is worse than it actually is. Which, yeah, it's just something you had to wrestle with all the time, is all of these assumptions about what cards should be where and how they behave. So the problem is players. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if only we could design cubes uh, without players. That if would only be, we could design yeah, better players. That would players. be the perfect world. That, that's a really sweet uh, idea, the spiritual singleton. I'll want to check out your cube, because that, that, that is like not something I've thought about before. Uh, so that's a, that's, that's a feather in your cap right there. Uh, and so I really want to check that out. But, um, I mean... The problem is, play, is we're human beings. Like we are taught certain things, like stereotypes. That's pretty, pretty uh, negative connotated word, but it exists because our lizard brains were like, uh, you know, dangerous animal with like teeth. Stay away; it'll kill you. So like we, we, we a lot of times group because there's so much information, not only in the world but in magic cards. Like each card has so many pieces of information about it. We have to do what we can to survive seeing all the cards that exist and grouping them together. So oftentimes our viewpoint, you know, we're, we're stationed in standard or vintage cube or whatever. Um, and that's how we see the world. Like Jace's Vintage Prodigy, when they came out, it's just a Merfolk looter because we never had anything like that before. We didn't know how good we right. had it. And, and and so people seeing things from a point of view, that's the level one, that you have to do that to survive. But, you know, once you spend time, turns out when you spend time and energy on things, you get better at them. So just giving, you know, giving your, like I said, the trust exercise to the cube designer and the leap of faith and letting them show you this brand new world. Uh, just, just give things a chance. Keep an open mind, yada, yada. Yeah, and I said that part of me wishes that I could have eight players sit down to draft my cube that had never even seen the cards in it before. But also a big part of me knows that that would be a paralyzing experience. Like everyone would do really badly. It would take forever to read all the cards and understand what they do. Like it would be a very different thing than, than what playing cube is. 
Can you talk us through your design process? How do you go about, you know, your task with designing the chromatic cube or the live the dream cube? What what does it look like for you? Do you start with archetypes? Do you just kind of put cards you like in a pile and work backwards from there? What does your design process actually look like? And just yeah. for context, this cube was designed for Arena, correct? It was, yep, you know, not correct. not an existing project. Yep, correct. So it depends on my goal. I guess I mean, I guess this is where I take a step back and I put on the work hat. I'm like, all right, product manager, project manager. What you know, I need to gather requirements. I need to find success. I need to mm-hmm. you know get, do all the the boring businessy nice stuff to figure out what my end result to be. So live the dream cube. Um, I just wanted to make a cube that captures the commander experience. But because it was going for Magic Online, you know, I had a, I there's a lot of things I couldn't do. Like I couldn't do you know a lot. I was limited by the card pool of Magic Online. I couldn't do fun like draft a commander beforehand. I couldn't play with any silverboard cards or cards that you know aren't on Magic. You know, so there's lots of things I had to live by. But basically, my goal was to make a commander cube. Well, what does that mean? Well, um, because I've worked on so many um, limited formats at Wizards. Uh, I'm not in Studio X R and D, but uh, when we were still, we've been working at home for a year and a half now. We were in the office. You know, I would draft all the time. I've done hundreds of drafts and give feedback. So my mind, because of being there, is templated by the having archetypes in limited environments. You know, we don't really make a good stuff limited environment. We make archetypes to give people directions and things to point to, so they can have goals and such. So I am I am driven to the archetype approach to where there's a, you know, in a limited environment, you have a signpost, signpost a golden con, it's black, red, and it says psychic creature or ping something, you know, shock something. Oh, that's what black red is doing. Great. I'm going to work in that with that frame, frame of mind. So I just applied that philosophy to a commander. Like all my commander decks have a theme about them that's usually too much off the wall. Like, like uh, uh, I have a two lane uh, deck where every car is alliterative. Well, I'm not going to do a alliterative, alliterative matters limited. You know, you want, you want buy-ins and you want paid off payoffs. I'll have a theme for that archetype, for that two-color archetype in my queue, because that's just how magic defaults to two colors. Uh, and I will put all the cards that I think are fun and could add to that archetype just in, in a big old list, in a large list. So I so I'll have a cube, so I'll do that, and I will look at basically every card in the game and add them to a list and then just play test. I mean, this is this is this is the montage part of, of the explanation. I will just go through and play test and any card that like some people uh, uh, prescribe to the net fun philosophy of Magic. There's only a limited amount of fun in each game, and your goal is to take it all. So that involves cards <laughs> like the Abyss and Wasteland and Counterspell. I-, I believe there is there you can always create more fun in a game of Magic. So any card that took away that fun, I just like no, you're out. Any card that generally prohibits people from playing the game, take that out. Obviously, there there is a goal like like you know. Star of Extinction that that technically takes away people's ability to play the game, but there's a line to everything. Like but everything it's also has an exception. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, it's really sweet. It's seven mana. It it says the number twenty on it. That well, that's exciting. So there, you know, there's a line to everything. Hey, you know that line? I'm sorry, you just got to keep doing things. You got to dedicate your life to a, a card game uh, and just like and just know everything. So add everything to a list, analyze it a million times, work three hours a night on it for like four months uh, for a cube, and just go at it like put all your heart and soul into it um so play test it over and over and over take out the bad cards keep the good cards in you know then eventually whittle 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 it down the size you want on a magic online uh you need to be 540 cards minimum so i designed that experience so i had 540 cards in it you know like i didn't have any of the filter lands from lorwin because on magic line the implementation implementing those cards with digital experience is kind of difficult so i took those out so i take that stuff out um anything that's like awkward to play or whatever because i'm innately uh experience with the ui magic online um take that stuff out so you know you, you want to build to your audience and my audience was generally the rule of uh of, of design is 
know your audience and don't make a thing you would like, but make a thing for your audience. But my audience generally was like people who love Commander, but also spreading out and having a unique cube experience. So the Commander, the, the Live the Dream cube and the Chromatic cube, you know, they are a unique experience management. The games take longer. Uh, you don't have the traditional aggro. Um, and it's it's a it's a flavor. It's like it's like uh, chai ice cream. You don't want to have chai ice cream every night for food. Like you want like a hamburger being an American, a cheeseburger or whatever. But like sometimes like on the weekend, you want a chai ice cream and that's really nice. You don't want it every every night. But it's so that's kind of the the, the niche uh, that my cubes fill out is mm-hmm. that I want I want big, you know, the traditional big mana battle cruiser, five colors. Like that's the kind of experience I like making because we don't we ha- hadn't offered that those sort of experiences on Magical Line or Arena. I got a lot of things to call back to. First, you need to know we do have a listener that has an alliteration cube that they update with every set where the entire cube is alliterative. So I'll send you that list so you can check it out. As someone with an alliteration EDH deck, I'm sure you'll appreciate it. I also, I love what you said about how the Live the Dream cube was trying to capture the commander experience. I feel like um, we see, you know, in the various cube communities we're part of, people that often show up and are like, I love commander. I want to build a commander cube. And what they're trying to do is basically build a cube where you draft your commanders and you build a commander deck, like a 100-card singleton deck with a commander with color identity. And that could certainly work, and there are some really successful examples of commander cubes out there. But I always encourage them to do what you're saying you did with the Live the Dream Cube, which is don't think about the mechanics of the game that you know you like and try and replicate them in a different environment. Think about the actual things you like about that environment. What makes commander fun? And how can you make the same things fun about drafting a cube? And it makes total sense that that's kind of the origin of the live the dream cube right i think what's key about that is that the commander in normal constructed commander enables a certain kind of gameplay it doesn't necessarily do the same thing in a drafted environment so you're just looking for different tools to actually create the the same gameplay experience but the the commander itself is not the fun part it's just a tool to enable that yep and a commander is actually kind of rough for a limited environment because by the nature of the format a commander is is a repeatable card that you can just cast over and over and one of the other golden rules in, in Magic is repetition is bad. Like having a card that you just do the same thing every turn and nothing changes. The game state never evolves. Things don't change. You're not presented with new questions. That's generally a bad thing. So like, so you having, really don't like yeah, the abyss. Uh, I really don't like the abyss. I mean, I, I guess I guess you could say I, I was I was hurt by the abyss uh, younger in life, and so that <laughs> just made me only want to play artifact creatures from here on out. Can you um, just say that that uh, the abyss is its own unique flavor of ice cream that we like every once in a while? It you know, is, it's yeah. Like, it's like uh, you know, car tire ice cream, <laughs> basically. Oh um, yeah, and if abyss fans out there, not 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 hating on you, but uh, if you that's the good thing about cube, you can make your own environment with your own rules. So make a cube where you can put any number of copies of the abyss in your deck at the end of the draft and have a good time. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> so I, I appreciate everything you've said about your context and how you start with the goal, right? The goal is to, you know, capture this kind of experience. How do we do that with these mini cards? You said playtest the cube a bunch. What is your playtesting process like? How do you playtest the cube like this so many times and get those reps in so you know how things work and what things don't work? Find a way uh, to draft. So I just draft with myself. I draft with myself. I draft a pod of eight players and I have all eight drafts up on the screen. Uh, And I, you find a way to draft and then you try to see each cube from that those seven additional point of views and see like what like you don't always have to play certainly like i'll play on magic line but you don't have to always play a lot of times so card evaluation is hard 
very hard. Now you're I've preaching to the choir there. We're bad at it. So hard. I mean, that might be one reason why magic is really popular, just because it is extremely hard. Even, <laughs> like, seeing a card in a booster pack versus on a spoiler versus on the table, they all make you think about the card differently. And I've been doing it for years, and it still happens to me. So a lot of times, you'll see a cube and like a card is like, oh, you know, like the the red cycling card or whatever, like this, you know, weird, again, not to beat up red, red enchantments. Expensive red enchantments are my favorite type of card, so this is why I'm allowed to beat up on them. But mm -hmm. seeing, seeing that card in a pack, I'm like, I don't want this. Like, okay, that's easy. But like, maybe you're doing that kind of strategy, and then you see the card in the pack, you're like, I'm in this deck, and even I don't want this. Well, maybe, you know, you were, you're were when you're in the grocery store and you're really hungry, bad idea, and you just buy all this stuff, and you come here, like, why did I buy all this food? That, that's kind of why one feeling you can get when you just put things in packs. Like, oh, I don't want this. And that's an easy cut. Like, cutting cards is also really hard. But the more cards you have in the cube, the more it most likely dilutes the experience you're aiming for. Obviously, you don't want a, car, a cube of exactly 360 cards because then every draft is very similar. But in, in, every card can dilute what you're trying to go for. And maybe you have a card you're absolutely in love with in all aspects. Well, having more cards in the cube that maybe don't add to that are taking away from the times those cards will see the light of the day. And not everyone is going to draft your cube, uh, you know, hundreds of times. Usually it's like three times or something if you're lucky. So you you want to put your best step foot forward and figure out what cards you'll be able to see to play. Uh, so yeah, for playtesting, you just draft a million times. It's hard. You just keep drafting. Maybe you play some. The thing is, drafting's you know. fun. That is the good thing. So so there's a whole genre of video games nowadays, I believe, called roguelike. Drafting is just the original roguelike. Like, it's procedurally generated. There's lots of RNG in the game. Uh, once you're done, you're done forever with that right. version Can't of your back. character. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then hopefully, after that draft, you learn something, and you can apply those those permanent skills to future uh, run-throughs of this roguelike. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. I'm Thanks! Cur <laughs> I, I'm curious to know... So, you also mentioned that you... And for these particular cubes, you kind of went through and took out things that prevented people from playing Magic, stopped the cool stuff from happening, right? These things like the Abyss we've referenced, even Counterspell, things that just were shutting down that cool stuff. And I'm curious to know how you decided what kind of densities to run of, like, bread and butter effects that are not thematic. So how much just basic removal did you run or just basic card draw, stuff that doesn't necessarily tie into the themes of the, the archetypes or the themes of the cube, but just kind of greases the wheels of the game of magic and makes it work what kind of densities was you running? how did you come to those to those densities yeah so this is uh, a great question not that the others have not been great uh but it depends on what i'm looking at so the easy ones are like fixing i would just look at previous cubes that we've run a magical line and cube, popular cubes like cultic cube or dakara cube and see how much fixing they're doing versus their gold card count um and then like oh well i have way more gold cards so you know maybe they have 65 lands but like seven of them are colorless they don't add to fixing well i'm going to have 72 lands but they're all five color they're all gold they all only only goal is to fix and the density is higher of colors they provide so like in the live the dream cube i have the five alara tri lands so they're like they're like triums but way worse um but they, they <laughs> give you know they have more color density so it, it helps the fixing so that that's fixing that was actually really easy decision that's stuff like that um card draw um, a lot of cubes are aggressive, which means you can put cardboard from your hand on the table way quicker. Uh, in my general cubes, the two that at least the two that you all have seen so far, um, you don't, really don't have that. You have more of a you're clogged. You have you have a, the restriction is on that mana gating, so you don't really need a lot of card draw. Now that doesn't mean I'm not going to add cards that let you card draw. 
but now I'm going to add stuff like uh, the blue inscription. Like, yeah, it's got a card draw mode, but basically you're going to double and summon most of the time. But maybe a situation comes out where you don't have a lot of cards in your hand. Wow, you do appreciate the card draw. So for card draw in my cubes, uh, that, 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 that was the answer. Generally, not a lot. Um, mm -hmm. Let's see what else. Removal. Removal is one of the best ones. So when I say removal, I really mean interaction. That Those are, people conflate them sometimes, but um, removal is, is really difficult. So there was a post, um, I believe, I wouldn't say Josh Ravis, but I, I don't know if it's him or not, but it was a person, or Frank Carson, that looked through the, pre the past environments of Limited and had a curve that showed how many pieces of removal each set had. So something like Mir Mirrodin had lots of Shatters and, or Innistrad base had lots of removal because it's a spooky set, so everything's dying. Um, or, or in a it's it very spooky to have your stuff removed. <laughs> I know, yeah, like you don't you don't want to die, but you die in a stride. But meanwhile, like Avison restored. Hey, blue and green are the good colors, so not a lot of stuff's dying, not a lot of removal. Um, and and you know they they did they did a, a really cool thing was oftentimes access to cheap removal improved public's perception of the format. That's basically because you just got to interact more, you got to play the game more, which is funny because. Killing opponents' thing is they don't get to play. But nowadays, magic uh, is built around that. Like um, a lot of creatures, ETB, we diversify our threats. We have our cards care about the other cards. That's a big one. Back in the day, you know, it was Thoughtseize. I guess Doomblade's not the best example, but like Murder, Thoughtseize, Counterspell. Like those cards didn't care what the other cards said. They just boom, get you. And they were efficient. And, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, language now. <laughs> that, that's what people grew up and That's where we started magic. And that's what people are used to seeing. Uh, but nowadays, you know, we have so because because magic, we just make more cards all the time. We have to explore more design space because there is an infinite amount of design space in magic and in games. But there's a finite amount of good design space. So finding what works and finding the interaction to that is really key. So maybe you care you only can destroy a werewolf or you only can destroy a gold card or legendary. But this threat is a planeswalker or enchantment or, or, or what have you. Or it's in the graveyard. So the interaction is much more specific. That's an interesting way to frame it because uh, I've always kind of thought that that question of removal and its density and the efficiency of it comes down to like, someone's going to feel bad, right? Either you're going to get your thing removed or you're going to die because you couldn't remove something. And it's not necessarily that one of those experiences is inherently more negative than the other. It's just that there's going to be an interaction point here and that's going to be something that decides the game. And so... I, I've always kind of thought of it from that perspective. So at, at end of the day, then you know. So, you're, so you're of the magic is a zero net fun game, correct? Um, no, but I think <laughs> that means yes. <laughs> uh, probably, maybe. <laughs> no, but I, 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 I don't think. I think in a given environment, there is like uh, the between environments, like the fun can be flexible. But I do think within a given environment, yeah, you're gonna have. There's there's more fun to be had in an environment. You can have more fun losing, which means your opponent probably had a little less fun winning. But yeah, it's hard <laughs> to say. Either way, so you're, you're basically saying that you want your removal to care about the other cards, not to be like so agnostic to what your opponent is doing, like thoughts or counterspell, but just stops it no matter what. To actually have some interaction point, some reference to the rules text or types of the card that you're interacting with to to relate it back to it. And how did you actually come to the actual density? It sounds like you basically looked at past limited formats and used that as a benchmark. Um, yeah, so I can talk about I can talk about this for years. So let's see. The easy one is that we have the luxury to care about card types nowadays. It used to we didn't. And then so my so it's also psychological. Like I said, um, you know, don't 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 be don't be sad. Your your bane slayer angel got doombladed. Be happy at resolve. So like you know the whole like killing my bane slayer. <laughs> 
that sucks, but countering, ooh, I feel so bad now. And and in my cube, it's all about giving people agency. I want people to feel like the decisions they made mattered, and I want to give people the ability to make decisions. So, like, when we look at Entomb Reanimate, didn't really have any decisions there. But when it's, like, you know, more, because you didn't have a chance to play the game. But when I give people a chance to play the game, well, maybe you should have played that less powerful, less synergistic card that did hit a graveyard for something, you know, to, to stop that. So, looking at density removal, because the cubes I make are higher CMC on average, I can't have a lot of efficient removal because then that just means the expensive stuff you're playing, why are you doing it? Why play a seven mana? Why play Shaldrin right. when it's just going to get go for the third immediately? Like, I'm not, I'm going to betrayed. The cube's premise is to play slashy things. But if that happens all the time, going against people's expectations, subverting expectations is great in comedy. That's in fact what it's all about. But when giving people an environment to spend their time and have fun, that's generally not what you want to do. So you can't have superficial removal. So what I like to do, the removal also needs to go up in the curve. But because once you remove removal up in the curve, then you have decisions. So Planeswalkers are a great idea for this. They, they aren't great for general synergistic things among magic, more so nowadays than they used to, because they're more specialized in what they do. We understand them better. But Planeswalkers, you play, you play Planeswalker, do you minus them and kill her thing? Or do you plus them and make a creature? And, and it gives you the option. Like, yes, it's removal, it's interaction, but you have to choose it. Another easy example is Eradicator back Valkyrie. It's like a flying life-linking angel. And when you attack, you can sacrifice a creature to make them sacrifice a creature. You have to invest into it. You need to build your deck around these pieces of removal and interaction to make them shine. But maybe you don't want to make... So So it's a threat and removal. And and they're, they're combined because I've moved them up the curve for that reason. So that's what I like putting in my cubes. There are lots of cards that can do both jobs. Yeah, something I want to highlight about what you're saying is that it's really important for you to have clear, established goals, right? If you're looking at a previous cube or previous limited sets have a starting point for this is the amount of removal we're starting from, like that that kind of works. Uh, it's really important to understand how do you want your environment to be different so you know in what specific way you want to you want to move from those particular numbers. Yeah, and so so the, I guess the, the really easy level one answer is look at the modern, modern cube is what I base things off of because vintage has mocks in which don't count. Um, look at the modern cube. Just count up how many pieces of cards you'd call interaction, and then look at your cube and see how many you have. I was a little lower than Modern Cube, not by a lot, but that's kind of where I wanted to be, was a little lower than Modern Cube, because I'm giving people lots more unique things to do, and I want to let those things shine. People oftentimes position Cube as between limited and constructed, which I don't fully agree with that framing, but I've seen people frame Cube that way. And it sounds like you're basing a lot of your heuristics off of limited, right? You're comparing to the amount of like removal and limited and talking about that as a sort of baseline, talking about how limited has these signpost archetypes. That's something you've kind of carried over in your cubes. Is it fair to say that you think about cube first as limited? Like it is it is a form of limited and it, and it has a lot shared with regular retail limited? Yes, <laughs> I would say that that is accurate. Yeah, I did play constructed a lot. But um, there's so much work to be involved in that. And a lot of the skill um, is, you know, figuring out how to attack a metagame with your choices. And that is awesome. I'm not great at it. But uh, limited, I, so much of my experience uh, since joining Wizards seven years ago is about sculpting limited environments. And so, yeah, that's where I attack cube. Yeah, I, I guess I mean, like, obviously, like, you know, cube is drafted. It is limited. You're not going to do the same kind of, there's not the same competitive questions about metagaming and deck construction as there are in constructed magic. I guess what I mean is something we've talked about before in the show is that I think limited is most people's baseline for cube because it is also a limited format. But retail limited has, a, you know better than we do, a, a diverse 
set of goals, right? Like when the booster pack is constructed, there are a lot of things that are have to be kept in mind for what goes into the booster pack. It's not just what makes the most fun drafted environment that results in the most, you know, replayability and all that kind of stuff. And cube, you know, can put a lot of that stuff aside. We don't have to worry about putting exactly one rare mythic in a pack. We don't have to worry about keeping lands at a minimum because it's not fun to open up lands if you're like new to the game and lands don't excite you. Like we don't have to think about those things. We can just focus on the gameplay that comes from the, that kind of stuff. So some people will basically look at densities of fixing and removal from constructed magic where the decks are basically tuned uh, to be very focused and say, is there anything we can learn about these constructed decks to apply to limited? And you're basically saying that, you know, limited is really the, the foundation though, for your perspective. Correct. One of the strongest and worst things about magic is oftentimes, traditionally, it's a game designed around inhibiting your opponent from enacting their game plan. And that's what Construct is generally about most times. Uh, control deck, counters other stuff. Aggro decks, kill them before they, they, they play their good cards. Combo right. decks, uh, make every, every card in their deck not matter. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> make their whole um, strategy irrelevant by killing them. Yeah, so it's, it, it's really... I, I don't want to make an environment about inhibiting what the opponents are doing, which is mainly what Construct is about, but enacting a proactive, you know, game plan. Uh, and you brought up a good thing about replayability because these cubes I'm designing are just being, are just, you know, going for a week or two. You probably are aware of this. There, there's a way of thinking about designing magic cards and experiences called fire design, which is make sure everything is fun, inviting, yeah. playable, and exciting. Um, so, you know, that was introduced around Eldraine, at least publicly. And I also think about that when making cards and cube environments. My cubes, for example, are really fun and really exciting, but man, the cards have a lot of words on them, not the most inviting, and they are they do give a very specific experience. So like if you so replayability is lessened because they only need to be up here for a week or two. Like like a limited environment, that's gotta be replayability. We want people to play the limited environments for a long time. Like I still enjoy playing Modern Horizons too. Because I don't have to focus focus on replayability that much with my cubes now. A paper cube, sure. a little different. I'm investing a lot more resources uh, into making a paper cube, so I, I care about replayability a little bit more in that aspect. But yeah, I do look at everything from a limited point of view because that that's my favorite type of magic. I'm also curious to know just what it's like to design a cube that is going to be played by so many people. I feel like you are in rarefied air. There's not that many people that get to have their cube drafted by thousands of people. Like I'm sure the Magic Online, uh, like I'm sure the Chromatic Cube will be on Arena and the Live a Dream Cube was on Magic Online. How does that change your design process? Like if you were, uh, you mentioned you're building the Live the Dream Cube in paper. If you're going to play that with your local playgroup, are there things you would do differently for the same set of goals in a local playgroup versus when you know it's going to be broadcast out to the to the masses? What what I should say is no. I think that's like I want to put my best foot forward for magic and and myself in any context I can. I want to I want to bring and and, and also combine with that. I want people to have the most fun. Uh, I guess it's a little bit. It's different based on the format. So in the Live the Dream Cube and paper, I'll probably have a couple silver border cards that aren't on digital. That's fine. Right. On digital, maybe maybe a card is rough on digital, but not rough in paper, or maybe. A card is not like Goblin Game. Maybe Goblin Game in paper is really cool because you do this unique interaction, this unique physical thing that you don't get to otherwise. So maybe that changes the context. But in terms of the actual like environment, I would say no. I, I do recognize I am quite privileged in more ways than one. The least level one was, yeah, I do get to put my cube on, on Midgo and on, on Arena. I think about that a lot and how lucky and privileged I am. But I don't think that changes how I put more work into it, I guess. When you're showing your class project to the class versus the the tri county area science fair, like 
you, you do put a little more work in, into that than otherwise, I think. John, friend of the show, who is the designer of the Cultic Cube, I Cultic know, Cube, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know got a little bit of, of data from the actual run of Cultic Cube on Magic Online and you know shared some of that data in a video series. I, I'm curious, have you ever looked at any of the data available for the cubes you've had on these platforms to inform changes in the future or just out of your own curiosity or is that not something that interests you <laughs> oh i'm not only interested in i'm the one that compiles the data and gives it out well there you go <laughs> yeah uh, i i make the sql queries and go in there and look at everything in the back end and arrange the data to how i would like and try to draw my own conclusions with the context through all the data can you give an example maybe of like not not specific data but just a, a decision that you made based on something you learned from looking at actual playtesting data from any of your cubes uh, yeah, I'm sure. Oh, I got lots of those. So um, the easiest one is looking at the what number of a draft people take a card, and that that's easy. Like you know, Black Lotus is really is really high, um, and Lee Vanguard is really low. A uh, poor Lee Vanguard. I grew up like I was introduced to Magic with Lee Vanguard. Like it's a two. I'm like he's got a sword. He killed a monster, but he's got one toughness. How do you survive? Anyway, um, <laughs> like maybe that's why he only has one toughness. Maybe yeah. Maybe he had a lot more. He went up against like an infect creature. So looking at what order the t people taking cards is really easy to, f to decide, to find out how attractive a card is generally. Um, so I have a couple, I really like gold cards, turns out. So card, tr especially tricolor cards. So stuff like Team Residency and then um, Offspring's Revenge. Like Offspring's Revenge looks so sweet. Like you make a copy of a creature, but it's a 1-1, one -one, but it dies. You got the Lion King thing going on, but Simba didn't, you know, Mufasa didn't come back. So you have <laughs> this really, you have this really cool, unique build around that that is really sweet i'm like oh i love this card i have a little bit of graveyard synergy some like this card it'll be great nobody drafted it like nobody drafted offspring revenge also no one drafted team or synergy but the cube has so many like gold creatures like and creatures you know like that's that's great and the fixing like fixing's there like i've crunched the numbers i've got more fixing than other like basically any other cube without cheating to like paradise like rainbow paradise lands or whatever which i can on digital environments but the, the conclusion that i came to was because those are gold cards that you want to deploy early uh, and that you have to build a deck around. Generally, that's harder. They're, they're, they're not payoffs. You have to build your deck around them. Like I said, Team Mercedes, you have to build your deck with that card in mind and it's three colors. So those two things combined, and you want them early. Those things combined made those cards not very attractive to people, which fooled me generally i have compared to the average uh, person because uh, i've been around this so much i have a better card evaluation than most but i'm not i'm certainly fallible i'm definitely not infallible so seeing offspring's revenge not getting played i'm like i guess not i guess it's not something i want to do so that helps me figure out what not to play also i can see like all oh, blue white did really well like in the first draft was that because the cards individually stronger because blue always has the fear of just taking over the other colors because because of how we made the game 20 years 25 years ago um, or is it because the blink strategy was really efficient, like Thassa, God of yeah. the Sea, and the other blink creatures, because they couldn't kill them? They were not; they were hard to interact with. Or is it was it because there are just so many ETB creatures in the game? The blink strategy is really efficient and easy to jump into. Or was it because the stronger players identified it? So I had to figure out why it's doing what. And you know, my conclusion was, oh well, it had blue. Blue was the best. Turns out, when you take out a Savannah Lines from an environment, the color that's good at being <laughs> slow is better than the others. Um, so maybe, or, yeah, or maybe I had I had a couple of blue cards that bounced permanence, ideally, like not a non-land permanent. So a Riftwing Cloudscape, oh, you got a land? Well, this format's all about mana, bounce your, bounce your land. So so that, that helps me figure out 
what strategies are winning. And, and as always, like, Mono Red always does the best. Mono Red just always does the best of, like, all the cubes. I've looked at the data, which is every cube of Midgo. Mono Red is, you know, really low drafted. Well, unless it's, like, a mono, like, unless it's sort of support. But even in my color-oriented cube, Mono Red was the second highest performing deck overall, despite being really low drafted numbers. That's just because that's just the nature of mountains, baby. So there's, yeah. there's... And, and like you, like you're like you're getting at. There's a lot of potential reasons for that, and none of those individual numbers tell the whole story, right? They're just telling a yeah, part of what's going on. It's so hard because you got to look at things both by numbers, uh, what's a quantitative and qualitative. There's like don't come to the wrong conclusions. It's really hard. It's really hard. And when you're doing everything by yourself, wow, you can make a lot of mistakes. So, but you learn from them, hopefully. So the next run of this roguelike we call life, um, we'll all be a little better at it. And I also like that you are, when you're talking about these, you're separating the difference between a card being appealing and a card being powerful, right? Like, it could be that Teamer Ascendancy would have been great in all of these decks in the cube, and if people had taken it and played it, they would have had a good win percentage, and the card would have been perfectly fine on power level. But that doesn't change the fact that you can see from the numbers that people just don't want to take it and play it. And if they're not going to take it and play it, then it might as well not be Teamer Ascendancy. It might as well just be, you know, Dark Steel Relic, because it's not doing anything in anyone's deck if it's just riding sideboards. Yeah. And one of the best things I can hear, I imagine one of the one of the best things a cube designer can feel, at least from my from my my opinion, is when people trust you. So uh, a lot of cards in my cubes are not efficient, and they've not seen them before, and they don't look particularly strong. But wow, they look fun, and people often when people say, I'm, even on like Arena Midgo, where you, there's a there's a cost to play the game, and there's, it's reward based. You know, winning gives is a real reward when you win well. When people say yeah, I want to win, but I'm really here to have fun. And this card looks fun. That That's what I want. So there's some cards that are not efficient or not good and look worse than the average card, like Mirror March or what have you, or Fire Emancipation. But wow, they look really fun uh, and people want to try this. So I, I love that. Just to close on here, what is um, you designed a lot of cubes, obviously. What is your like number one piece of advice for cube designers out there, especially newer cube designers? <laughs> It's hard, but keep an open mind. Of course, leading off the thing saying it's hard is probably not very attractive, but you get the chance. I think, I think Magic players are pretty used to enjoying a, a hard experience. That's true. Um, you get the chance to make people happy through a card game. And one of my goals in life is to leave the world a better place than when I entered it. And for me, that's bringing people joy through a game, no matter what game it is. So being able to improve, because maybe people had a rough day at the, at, at the, the office or at work, at life or whatever, but when they come home and they get joy and they've got smiles on their faces because something you did, you brought this joy to them, that's what it's all about. Like back when I ran Commander Versus and, and like, oh, well, I get to make Commander decks and show people videos and thanks for watching videos. I love that. I always love hearing people appreciate my stuff. But like there was a Gen Con, I was at Gen Con one year and there was like, I don't know, a 10 year old kid. And he was like, thank, thank you, David, for making videos. I made a commander deck. Oh, man, that's what it's all about. It's that really gets your heartstrings, huh? Yeah. And that's, we're all just like meat bags made of stardust that leak feelings. And I just want to <laughs> feel things and make people feel things. Put that on our checklist, Anthony. We got to get some 10-year-old to thank us for making Lucky Paper Radio eventually, you know, in a heartfelt way at a convention. That's That's a new goal for me. We'll get there. Anthony, I want to give you a chance to talk about your experience playing this cube, but you said you had screenshots loaded up. I'm curious to know what you thought of your uh, your runs of this cube on Arena so far. Uh, I mean, I'll just reiterate. I, I think that I had, I mean, not to say I had low expectations. I had pretty high expectations, but I had a lot more fun and specifically fun in this way of just getting to see new card interactions that I didn't expect that ended up being a bunch of fun and like 
having this like cool bingo of like I never thought I'd see these two cards in play at the same time. And I love having a cube that just can provide those kind of novel experiences. Examples like you never thought you would uh, accidentally with your okay so here's the thing i do want to point out one salty salty moment so so i i had tristani in play and at the end of the tristani turn you discorded know, the uh, yeah the one from ravnica allegiance yes and so a trigger goes on the stack at the end of each each of my turns and like the whole board just jiggles a little bit and you're not really sure what's happening and i was like oh it's that trigger that's happening that you know nothing happens yeah the trigger uh, never matters right the trigger that never matters never comes up. and then a few turns later i cast a hostage taker took my uh, opponent's Micaeus the Lunark and then recast it much larger. And then that trigger went back on the stack. I had never expected to have Trostani and Hostage Taker in play at the same time. And it turns out that effect is symmetrical. And uh, my opponent regained control of their Micaeus. So that I was a little bit salty about. <laughs> Sounds like player yeah, I mean, error to me. <laughs> yeah, nothing, nothing could have been done about that. Nothing. <laughs> User error. Four colors, two cards, nine mana plus the minute to cast the Micaeus. That's, that's that's when that turned back into a real game of magic again. Yeah, it sounds like you were winning mm-hmm. pretty handily until you uh, you know donated your opponent a large Micaeus. Uh And then another deck that I've really enjoyed. Uh, I think I have hopefully one more win or a loss, but uh, if if we're lucky, win uh, with this green white plus one plus one counter deck and just being able to ramp out a turn two Basri and and start ticking it up and make that emblem and that's just a ton of fun. Basri emblem seems like a very real thing in this environment where. There's not as many cheap threats, and you can play a Planeswalker on three that can just uptick a couple times and then downtick to, to pop off. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, trying to make uh, white cards that are aggressive but also interesting and fun for both players is quite the challenge. We are always making new white cards, uh, especially ones legal in, like, Commander. Um, but yeah, that 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 is also one of the biggest challenges, making sure blue's not too good and bringing white up to the fun and excitement and interesting level of the other colors. I mean, you don't have to uh, sell me. I feel like white is one of my favorite colors. I feel like there are so many interesting cards. I I don't think there's anything lacking there. <laughs> yeah, you are. You are. If we had to d- distill you to a color pair, you would be green white, correct? That's certainly how I would prefer to identify. <laughs> <laughs> well, guess what? Then that's how you will. <laughs> Here, you can identify however you want. So you're just a you're a Celestia mage, as far as I'm concerned. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us, David. This has been great. It, we love hearing about Cube from basically a slightly different perspective, right? You have a different perspective on Cube than I think anybody else does, a very u- unique perspective on it. And it's great to hear about the origins of the Chromatic Cube and give our listeners some insight into how that was made and also some insight into how to draft it. So we're really, really grateful you took us some time to be on the show today. Well, thank you, Andy and Anthony. It's was super great. And I and I did really enjoy the Lucky, Lucky Paper Cube map where you mentioned like my cube as well as some other cubes, I guess. Um, and like showed how, <laughs> yeah, um, and show how they all interact in the island, islands they made and such. And that was really cool. That that's a lot of data. And man, I looked at that that map for a long time to see what what made cubes popular, what made them tick. I really liked your uh, like your culture cube, not your, your cube cube and the culture cube and the island that you guys made. But over talking, and that's just like islands of friendship expressed through magic. And Pretty that's, much, that's great. That's such a beautiful yeah. way to describe the cube map. Yeah, I, I, I'm. I have spent so much time looking at it, and we're also really excited about some new features we're working on. So it'll only get better. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank. Yeah. Thank you so much. Glad for you got. That. Glad you got that some was... joy out of it. That's. Uh, that. That's the point of it too. Yeah. That's. That's what we want. I mean, that's yeah. what we want. We, out we of don't lucky get to make magic cards, but we get to you know make things that are adjacent to magic cards. And if we can bring some joy in that way, then uh, that that's our calling. So yeah, absolutely, we'll, we'll take a lot of pleasure from that. You're on Twitch at uh, Twitch.tv/Lanuka. L-I-N-U-K-A. Correct. That's correct. That's uh, an old holdover from my fighting game days. Before Magic, I played fighting game professionally. So, I, but I'm still. On that train, yeah. Yep. Oh boy, we we'll have to have you back on and talk about that because I have a whole bunch of questions about that. And then Twitter, you are Jay Balarin or Jace Balarin? 
Uh, J underscore Valerian. And J Valerian um, on Twitter. All of our music is produced by DJ James Nasty. All the magic cards are made by Wizards of the Coast, including David. <laughs> and all the talking is done by me and Anthony. All the listening is done by you. Thanks for talking magic with me, friends. Of course. Love to talk about magic. Thank you, everyone who uh, has played any of my cubes or watched any of my Commander Versus videos or anything like that over the years. Um, like I said, I think I already kind of gave me my emotional bookend of like making people happy. Like that's that's what I want to do. I want to make myself happy, but I want to make other people happy too. Um, is and, it like, safe to assume that you're cool with listeners sending you screenshots of ridiculous stuff they've done in your cube on Twitter? That's all I want. I say that all the time. Like for the Live the Dream Cube, I had a list of achievements that I wrote out of like weird things you can do, like triggering your precursor golem with parting the water veil. Like, whoa, that's wow. How do wow. you even do that? Oh, well, you can do it in the Live the Dream Cube, you know. Um, so like, I want to know what people are doing because like the Kaya with um Karn's Temper Summer Dream, I never thought of that. So like, I'm not going to think of everything. No one's going to think of everything, but like. Uh, people when people like have fun and show me the fun they've had and they help me a thing like i don't make cards as much as most people but i make cards all the time and usually i try to make white cards but when people are like i want a card that does this like i'm no gavin Verhey certainly but when people say i want this thing oh i'm going to try to try to make it happen like i definitely want people to tell me what fun they're having and even the things they don't like like people are like why is nexus fate in this cube like well maybe i missed it and if everybody in the world is like nexus fate time walks too good you know that's probably not going to be around for the next adaptation so i, I do want to hear all the things uh but like magic players generally are pretty uh, open with how they express their feedback so I, i'm sure <laughs> i think that's fair to say <laughs> <laughs> yeah i would say that they're uh, they're quick with any kind of criticism so i'm going to specifically invite the, the sweet screenshots that's what you should be sending to uh to david on twitter people is hey, keep your criticism to yourself well i guess david had invited it so do, do I, did. What you, I did invite it. <laughs> I, guess, I guess i guess use your judgment and uh think about whether or not the feedback is actually helpful yeah. or just make sure salty. do a do a fun sandwich one fun moment bit of a down moment and then another fun moment there you go yeah magic magic players like a, a lot of meat on their fun sandwiches though, but, uh, <laughs> I'm, here's i'm gonna be hoisted by my own guitar but here i'm, I'm ready i'm ready <laughs>